From the American Society of Cataract and Refractive Surgery, I'm Josh Young, and this is As Seen From Here. On today's podcast, Arthur Benjamin on postoperative amitropia and Dandapani Ramamurthy on toric ICLs for keratoconus. Measurement skills for preoperative evaluation, our surgical skills during the surgery, femtosecond lasers, management of astigmatism, the lens implants are improving, but so are the expectations of the patients. First this. This year's ASCRS annual symposium was great. I learned a lot that I'm applying to my practice right now. If I have any complaint, it's that I couldn't get to all the sessions I wanted to because some of them overlapped. That's why I'm so excited about the new ASCRS Media Center. More than 1,300 sessions from that meeting are now available through this great new resource. See what you missed or revisit the most interesting sessions. The Media Center is free to all meeting attendees. Stay tuned after the podcast for more information. I had the opportunity to interview a number of people advancing the forefront of ophthalmology during the annual meeting of the American Society of Cataract and Refractive Surgery. Edited versions of these interviews are presented on the iWorld website as brief videos. I'm going to present these interviews in their entirety over a number of podcasts. Today, we will listen to Arthur Benjamin on postoperative amitropia and to Dantapani Ramamurthy talk about toric phacic intraocular lenses for patients with keratoconus. All of the interviews were fantastically interesting, and I learned a lot in these conversations. I hope that you enjoy them as much as I did. I'm Josh Young. I have Arthur Benjamin here. I'm, I'm really excited to, to, to talk with you about the, your talk today, which is absolutely super. Listen, on, on the one hand, refractive surprises after cataract surgery are a lot less common because of the technology that we have and the techniques that we're using. On the on the other hand, and and because of this, the the expectation that patients have is also much higher. When you have to deal with a refractive outcome that is not what you aimed for, when do you counsel patients, and when do you decide that it's something that you have to intervene? I believe in the age of. Uh uh, premium cataract care. It's very important for every physician who offers this kind of service to have a, a, a really solid enhancement strategy because, as you're right, as the technology is improving, our um, measurement skills for preoperative evaluation, our surgical skills during the surgery, femtosecond lasers, management of astigmatism, um, the lens implants are improving, but so are the expectations of the patients. In fact, right now, this um, what demographers call rabbit in the python of, of the millions of baby boomers is moving into their cataract years. They have very, very high expectations. These are the people that really are enjoying the fruits of lifestyle medicine. They're the ones that made LASIK the household world, word. So that means that they have laser-like expectations of our outcomes with cataract surgery. And if you look at the uh, outcomes for laser vision correction, uh, up to 99% of patients get, up to 100% of patients in recent studies get 20, 25 or better vision at three months post-op. In fact, 96% of patients are 20, 25 or better. So the results are phenomenal, and that's the kind of quick visual recovery, excellent quality of vision that patients have come to expect. 
So if we look at the outcomes for cataract uh, surgery, uh, the really cataract surgery cannot be as good as laser vision correction surgery because nothing is as precise at giving us the refractive outcome as the XMR laser is right now. So if we look, uh, as you'll see in my talk, as, uh, when you look at the outcomes for refractive uh, surgery, cataract refractive surgery, only about 50% of patients reach 2025 threshold or better. And studies show that the number one predictor of the need for enhancement for multifocal lenses, which are exquisitely sensitive to even the min most minimal amounts of amyotropia, be it astigmatism, hyperopia, myopia, we need to do something about that. And uh, I think that most of the time it's going to be uh, laser vision correction and 99% of the time because, again, of the precision and the quality of the outcomes that we can accept. However, there are certain things that physicians need to do before they proceed with the um, enhancement of, of these patients. And by the way, I, I must emphasize that it's extremely important to educate the patients in the preoperative counseling period that enhancement is a normal part of postoperative visual recovery. Patients must accept the fact that they will probably require an enhancement because according to some estimates, up to 57% of patients do not enjoy the full benefits of presbyopic correcting IOLs. A systematic approach is a must, okay? So whenever you have a patient that comes in with a complaint of, I can't see anything, and there are a multifocal pseudofake, a systemic approach is in order. First, of course, rule out all of the uh, um, regular uh, pathological things that could be responsible, cystoid macular edema, ocular surface abnormalities such as dry eye, anterior basement membrane dystrophies, uh, posterior capsular pacification. Once that's been handled, a very close attention must be paid to the centration of the lens implant. Multifocal lenses really rely on the constructive-destructive interference to create the two uh, focal points. And uh, they use this balance of high-order aberrations to provide the two uh, focal points. So if this lens is decentered as little as 0.3 millimeters, which just happens to be about two to three diffractive rings outside of the uh, pupil center, that needs to be addressed because no amount of uh, contact lenses or glasses or refractive surgery will address this problem. Now, there's two ways to affect that. One, described by Dr. Uh, Holliday, is to actually move the lens. Uh, it should be done in the operating room, but he described a procedure where that can be done at the slit lamp for the adventurous types. Or one can actually move the pupil, as has been described by Dr. Donenfeld, by using argon laser pupiloplasty. Once the centration issue has been addressed, clinical refraction, demonstrating that the uh, trial spectacles or contact lenses do provide the patient with better vision, at that point you need to um, consider what kind of enhancement procedure you're going to perform. Of course, the most common is going to be a laser vision correction. However, should there be high uh, degrees of amyotropia, and for me it's uh, greater than three diopters of hyperopia or greater than four or five diopters of uh, myopia, uh, we need to consider either a lens exchange if it's in the early postoperative period for about two months. At that point, the lens is still mobile and it's fairly easy to exchange. Uh, if there is a question as to the effective lens position, meaning that there will be no predictable IOL calculation, the best thing to do at that point is to have a piggyback lens. And uh, a holiday virgins formula should be used to calculate the lens. And the beauty of, of that approach is that you really don't need axial length or uh, topography measurements. The refraction 
is what's used as a basis for calculating the piggyback lens. However, 99% of the time it will be laser vision correction. I prefer PRK and the cataract age group. PRK is very well tolerated. It's very tissue sparing. There is less incidence of dry eye, and these patients are surprisingly comfortable after the procedure. And uh, I reserve LASIK. Um, I have an intralase LASIK for patients who are either uh, hyperopes of uh, close to two diopters or have uh, mixed astigmatism. But for patients who've had laser vision correction in the past or LASIK, I really reserve PRK for those patients. And routine nomograms and whatever you're comfortable with should apply mitomycin and uh, epithelium management with either a brush or with uh, alcohol. When you're counseling the patient preoperatively, do you, do you present the enhancement that the patient may need postoperatively as part of that, that package? Or is it something that, that, that you only sort of deal with post-hoke? This is, I think, a really an excellent question and, and frequently goes um, unanswered by a physician. Uh, whenever physicians or practices begin to offer premium cataract care, and for me, premium cataract care uh, consists of um, uh, promising and guaranteeing, in quotation marks, a certain refractive outcome. It does not necessarily have to be. It could be astigmatism management with an LRI and or a toric IOL. It could be a promise of a monovision, for example. Or it could be uh, the uh, promise of multifocality, either with an accommodating lens or a multifocal lens. But what, as part of our premium cataract care uh, package at the, uh, in my practice, we do include enhancements as part of the solution. Uh, the patient must really realize that uh, uh, the multifocality will require a period of visual rehabilitation, be it neural adaptation for those patients who do achieve 20-20 vision uh, postoperatively, or be it something that requires an enhancement with uh, a laser or an LRI or something. My, yes, so the patients are fully made aware of the fact that they will need an enhancement or may need an enhancement, there is a fairly high likelihood of that. Even though studies show that in virgin eyes, about 20% of patients uh, will require an enhancement. Um, and the numbers range from 5 to 20%. Whereas the risk of enhancements almost doubles in patients who've had uh, refractive, character refractive procedures in the past. Arthur, thank you very much. Thank you. It's my pleasure. Thank you for inviting me. And now, Dandapani Ramamurthy. I'm Josh Young. I'm here with Ramamurthy Dandapani. I've seen several lectures now in which anecdotal cases have been shown with, with, with results that are really good during cataract surgery, though, with toric intraocular lenses for keratoconus patients. I mean, my, my bias had always been that if that for me to put in a toric lens, all the ducts kind of had to line up. You know, the cornea had to be regular and the, the cylinder had to be, uh, you know, nice and even. Uh, and I was impressed with the studies that I saw during cataract surgery. But you're putting in uh, phacic toric IOLs in keratoconus patients. Can I get you to, to uh, talk me through your, your study and, and what your findings have been? Uh, basically, I completely agree with you. Uh, both toric IOLs and toric ICLs are meant for cases where the astigmatism is orthogonal. And here we are essentially dealing with irregular corneas. So this is essentially an off-label usage. But at the same time, we came across these patients who had uh, uh, undissolved refractive error. 
we used to cross-link them, we have used rings, but still the refractive error was something which was not, uh, we are not able to address that. So my series essentially is about uh, cases which had keratoconus and where the keratoconus, the cone had been stabilized, either because of the age of the patients where they are beyond 35 years of age, we had followed them up sequentially for at least five years, the cone was stable, or these were patients who had undergone collagen cross-linkage. And uh, um, the, essentially the condition had stabilized and uh, we followed up with implantation of ICL, toric ICL, six to 22 months later. Uh, we have found that uh, in our series, we did about 22 eyes in all which had been presented in this study. And 10 of them had uh, prior cross-linkage while 12 eyes were uh, stabilized just because of their age. And we found that uh, uh, these patients, though there was not no in increase in the uncorrected visual acuity, basically these patients are far more comfortable because they were not quite happy with their uh, contact lenses and the uh, kind of acuity of vision that they were enjoying with the glasses was not good enough. So it's not as if they, it's not a perfect emetropic condition that we achieve, but basically it's a, a condition which alleviates their uh, basic problem. And having fixed the cornea, uh, we find this as a useful agent. How, how concerned are you with rotational stability uh, of, of these lenses in, in these sorts of, of, of patients? Basically, I've used uh, toric ICLs, and these ICLs have essentially been created for placement in the sulcus. And uh, studies have shown that these ICLs over time stay, stay quite stable. And another important aspect is unlike in uh, refractive ICLs, where refractive toric ICLs or toric IOLs, where determining the axis and the exact refractive error is extremely critical, we find that at times in these cases, it's even difficult to arrive at a specific endpoint as far as the refraction is concerned. And there have been cases where we have even put in spherical ICLs. And uh, there have been one particular case which I highlighted during my talk. And the uh, rest of the cases have been all toric ICLs. And uh, we find that these cases, not only in this particular series, but in our overall experience, they are quite stable over time. And they're well established. In the hierarchy of, of, of therapy for keratoconus patients with, you know, spectacles and rigid contact lenses and penetrating keratoplasty, where does this procedure fall? I think the great thing about keratoconus today is that uh, both the surgeon and the uh, patient has a freedom of choice. And as you rightly uh, put it, my first choice is to just treat them with glasses. If it doesn't work for them, then we shift on to contact lenses, then maybe semi-soft lenses, then piggyback lenses. Now we have the special lenses like the Roske lenses available. If these things don't work and we find that the keratoconus is essentially progressive, we go ahead and cross-link these eyes. And uh, or unless if it's beyond 35, 40, and we find that the eyes and the corneas have naturally stabilized. And in case it's a fairly decentered cone, there's no way we are going to put in these uh, uh, optical devices, but we are essentially going to use a ring to recenter these cones. It's such of those eyes which have a well-centered cone and where the cornea is stable that we go ahead and put these uh, toric ICLs or plain ICLs. So essentially, it's for those cases where the keratoconus is essentially stabilized, the refractive error is quite stable, and the patient is highly motivated for a better quality vision and relative independence from spectacles. Sorry. Rama, it was a, a great talk. 
Thank you so much for asking me to join you. Thank you. Arthur Benjamin is assistant clinical professor at the Jules Stein Eye Institute at the UCLA Geffen School of Medicine in Los Angeles, California. Dandapani Ramamurthy is chairman of the Eye Foundation at Coimbatore Tirupur Metupalayam and Uti in Coimbatore, India. Here's some additional information about the new ASCRS Media Center. Almost all of the 2012 ASCRS ASOA meeting was audio and video recorded, and there are now more than 1,300 sessions featuring almost 1,000 speakers available online. You can view the general sessions, ASCRS paper sessions, symposia, films and posters, plus select courses and ASOA sessions on business management. It's essentially the entire meeting anytime you want, and it's all available through the new ASCRS Media Center. If you attended the meeting, your Media Center access is free. If you're a current ASCRS or ASOA member but didn't attend, you can still see everything that you missed for the member price of $199. If you're not an ASCRS member, you can still purchase the Media Center, or better yet, Join us and get the lower member price. To view the 2012 meeting through the Media Center, visit the ASCRS website at www.ascrs.org. If you're already a member, log in first and then click the Media Center link. If you're a guest, just click the Media Center link at the top of the page. From there, you can purchase the Chicago 2012 package or better yet, Join the ASCRS and receive the discounted member price. Ask questions of Dr. Benjamin, Dr. Ramamurthy, or any of our previous guests, or make a comment about any of the topics we've discussed. These interviews are meant to be the start of a conversation in which you participate. Write to me with your questions or comments at jyoungmd at gmail.com. As Seen From Here is a production of the American Society of Cataract and Refractive Surgery. Be a part of the next podcast. I'm Josh Young.